Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is the value of in-house counsel and how to evaluate outside counsel. I have the perfect expert, one of the smartest lawyers in mortgage banking, and that is Kim Coleman. Kim is general counsel at Primary Residential Mortgage. Prior to that, she was a flag star and with several other law firms. Hi, Kim. Hi, Pat. How are you today? I'm doing great. Well, this is really an important topic because, as you well know, and as I know, as also having a law degree, mortgage banking has a lot of legal issues for sure. But I want to start with some questions about how did you get into the world of mortgage banking? Sure. In between high school and college, I ended up interning at a local mortgage bank, floating and locking loans. And then during college, I worked in the accounting department of a mortgage bank. And after law school, I re-entered the mortgage industry as an attorney. Well, that is very interesting, to say the least. You know it with the gritty (laughs) detail for sure. So that's what makes you a great attorney in our world. So talk to us about the challenges that you face in your current position. I think it's something that a lot of legal and compliance folks are seeing, and especially given this market, there's an uptick in the sales team proposing more creative strategies when it comes to recruitment, operations, and marketing. Mm-hmm. And it's a great opportunity for legal to partner with the sales team to come up with options that that kind of meet both the compliance, legal, and um, and sales needs. Especially in a much more difficult market as we are in now, what are some trends that you see in mortgage banking that people don't aren't really spending enough time on? One trend that's actually starting kind of in more of the startup world is that mortgage or fintech are trying to increase their customer base and things other like digitizing, right? Some portion of the origination process. And I think that a lot of more traditional mortgage companies are really focusing on retention of their sales team, which is of course important, but you know, maybe there's more that could be done from a from a corporate standpoint. Yeah, that's a good point. For sure. So how do you stay current in our world of mortgage banking, not just from what's going on from the sales side of it, but also from the legal end of it? I think I would say the number one is probably the Mortgage Bankers Association and similar groups. We have a local chapter uh, here in Utah and, of course, webinars and, and law firm um, articles and, and you know industry blogs and that sort of thing. Well, I bet you spent quite a few hours keeping up the speed because it's not easy, that's for sure. Especially with all of the proposed rulemaking. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. So when we talk about our topic today, the value of in-house and then evaluating outside counsel, let's talk about the big picture. Uh, When does a firm typically go in-house and when should it go in-house? Well, honestly, you know, having in-house counsel is is helpful and important because they can really partner with, you know, be a business partner with both the corporate team and and the sales team. And they can kind of determine, you know, is there something that needs, you know, maybe an expertise in a specific area that's more nuanced than generally in-house counsel has. The interaction that you have with the management staff, in other words, that's something where you're really tying together not just the legal issues, but what's the business issue? Is that how you would frame that? Yeah, I think what's the business issue? And and really, you know, I would say less issue and what's versus goal, because once you ask enough questions to determine what the ultimate goal is, 
then you can help them to figure out the best path forward. That also having the the knowledge and the background as to the organization's operations and strategy is it really helps in-house counsel to leverage um, that and and optimize the advice that they you know provide. So what's your thoughts on, especially since there's been the issues of TRID and a bunch of other different types of regulations have come down the pike over the last years, and then some of these regulations are certainly somewhat vague. And so how do you handle that or what are your thoughts on that? Well, they're vague, yes, which, you know, from an attorney standpoint, it's kind of like our bread and butter because we can, you know, interpret those. And of course, looking at case law as, you know, very important and crucial to that. But I mean, it kind of, it, I think it gives the freedom to have, for example, syntax that exists because there's these maybe gray areas or nuanced areas where you can kind of, there's room for negotiation or for interpretation. And, you know, until, you know, a regulator comes out, then, you know, <laughs> sometimes that's when, okay, well, you know, maybe that's not exactly what was intended or, you know, maybe that's great and that's fine. It, but also that's partially uh, based on the administration. Right. And so talk about when attorneys and, and mortgage companies use outside counsel. When does an in-house counsel go outside? Talk about that whole situation. And also, how do you evaluate the uh, outside counsel? Typically, it's, and it depends on the organization, because each organization has a different kind of rule set, I guess, for when you would go to outside counsel. Oftentimes, it's based on, you know, if you have, like I said, that, that nuanced piece of knowledge that you need from someone else or to understand current enforcement trends, which a lot of times law firms have kind of the inside detail there. And then there's also if if capacity is needed. That's that's another time to outsource because you know you have you have to focus on the inside things and for kind of routine tr- transactions like selling mortgages, sometimes that's outsourced. Um, and then how you eva- evaluate, I would say it's kind of based on their knowledge, their communication style, and their strategy. So I was just at the MBA Legal Issues Conference and, you know, and, and speaking with a lot of external counsel, it was really notable to me the different approaches that they, the different firms have, or even people, in terms of, you know, some people want to immediately point out the issues, and then others are, okay, well, what is your ultimate goal? You know, do you want to find a pathway to yes? And that sort of thing, and what are your boundaries? And I think the more questions the external counsel asks, the more helpful it is because, you know, you can really get to where you want to be. So talk about how would you even isolate for those that aren't familiar? How do you find the right expert? Is it similar to finding referral sources where you have to (laughs) ask your friends or talk about because Some of these issues are pretty complex. Yeah, I think, you know, once you're in the industry for a few years, there are a lot of well-known firms and those are, they're good starting places. And then networking, uh, whether it's at a conference or, you know, locally or nationwide, I think that that's very helpful. And also talking to peers is helpful to kind of see what someone else's experience has been and, you know, whether or not you think that's somebody that you'd like to engage so if you had to look at the, the outside firms that, that maybe you've engaged, are they typically big firms or are they small firms or where do you actually kind of make that decision that you're going to go outside? Sure. So I actually don't use 
as many outside counsel at my current company. So I would say that I would use some large firms and some boutique firms. Mm -hmm. And some of it, for example, a large firm has to deal with the number of people that they have on the bench, so to speak, meaning how, how much support can they give you if you need it? You know, some, some firms, they have one person or, you know, maybe a handful at most of people that are in mortgage and, you know, can you use all of them? And maybe not, maybe you're conflicted out. And so it, sometimes it's really helpful to have the deeper bench. And then others, it's just kind of general knowledge and a boutique law firm, you know, they're very experienced in a specific issue. And, and then that's the right firm to go to. So talk about when you're dealing with larger firms, and I, I'm not sure that the listeners would recognize that similar to management consulting firms and accounting firms, you might get a beginning lawyer, even though that is a large firm. And how do you prevent that from happening? Not that the beginning lawyer could be actually terrific. Right. Well, so, well, in my experience, the firms that I've, I've uh, worked with, there's a kind of the main partner that mm-hmm. brings on the business. And then that's how you're introduced to younger attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's helpful because, you know, they have their knowledge and then they divvy up the work, you know, as appropriate based on experience and skill. And, and so I think that that's really very helpful. And hopefully the younger attorneys, if you were to meet one of them first, you know, they would say, well, here's, you know, somebody else at my firm with more experience, and they'll be assisting me to assist you. Mm -hmm. And so from the standpoint of, again, you're with a national lender, and you're talking about different states, is it possible to even know attorneys that are in all these varieties of states? or, Or how does that selection process work? Sure. Well, it depends. So if we're talking about, for example, a servicing standpoint where it's just routine foreclosure, mm-hmm. there are, Fannie Mae, for example, has a list of approved uh, firms that you can use. And that's pretty much the baseline for, I think, a lot of lenders. But when you're talking about transactions, oftentimes DC is a very popular location in order to source attorneys just because they're, you know, they're there right in the pulse of what's going on. Right. And yeah. And then, you know, if there's litigation, sometimes you'll get referrals from existing firms that you use and, you you know, for firms that are licensed in the applicable state. So what would be some of the bad signs that it's time to terminate this outside counsel? What would be some of the things that come into play? So at my last company, I was in charge of kind of managing our outside counsel. And we had a guidebook as to certain billing practices. And you know, if if there becomes an issue where you've noticed overbilling or something that's not in, in compliance with what you've agreed to, mm-hmm. and you, you know you speak with them and it doesn't it doesn't stop, you know, then maybe it's time to say, okay, you know what, I think we're going to try going a different way. I mean, obviously that's easier if it's transaction based versus versus litigation based. Right. But um, I would say that that's a big big point. And I think also sometimes you might engage an attorney and you realize kind of early on that they're not the right fit. And that could be either because they're just not thinking holistically, or they're not maybe identifying all of the issues that you see, you know, and and ideally, they would be identifying more. (laughs) Sure. Um, And helping you solve for those. So when you're looking at whether the relationship is working, from the standpoint of your experience, what are good signs versus we talked about the bad signs, but what would be things that would be positive from your viewpoint? Uh, The good sign is definitely good communication. I prefer very 
succinct and um, efficient. And of course, that's going to depend on on each person that each attorney. Mm -hmm. And then also, I mean, understanding that if you aren't providing the law firm with a ton of business, that you're probably not going to get immediate attention, like somebody that's billing a ton of dollars with them. But, and I think, you know, setting expectations is very important in terms of when they will be able to get back to you. And just, you know, do they really help you get to where you are trying to be? And how they talk through the issues is also very important. So from the standpoint of, and you talked about communication, as part of your expectations, do you set that when I call you, I want you to call me back? Or are you setting, well, I want you to call me within the next few days? Or is it that type of specific expectations of when you expect an, a, a contact from them? Well, I suppose it depends on the urgency of the matter. But from a transaction standpoint, I might say, hey, we have this new idea. It was just proposed by one of our top sales members. And we'd like to get this talked through fairly quickly. Can you please provide what you're what you, you know, think. And if sometimes if it's, you know, all the way to the CEO, then it might say, we need to speak about this within the next 48 hours. Okay. And so sometimes it's right, like me setting the expectation and hoping that they can comply with that. And sometimes it's, hey, this isn't super urgent, you know, let me know when you can get a chance to speak over the next few days. And so in your experience, when you've used outside counsel, typically, what are the numbers of that? I mean, how many of them were you using, was it a handful or was it 25 or what did that look like? Well, from a transactional standpoint, I would say, I don't know, between five and 10. And then of course, for example, there's privacy. And if there's an incident and you need to pull in outside counsel, of course, it's a little different because oftentimes your insurance company will have recommended counsel that, you know, they prefer that you use. But, you know, there's, there's different matter areas. And from a privacy standpoint, I had one firm that I used because I, I really appreciated the way that he approached issues. And it wasn't the fire, you know, it was fire and, and everyone should freak out. It was more practical and methodical in the sense that, like, this is what happens. This is what you need to do, et cetera. So do you often see some folks that are attorneys actually were mortgage bankers like yourself at one point? Is that something that you prefer? I haven't seen that very often, although I know that there are some smaller mortgage companies, and and I would say newer, where they actually want the general counsel to have a mortgage license, but I think it's more because they want the corporate office to be licensed. But I mean, I could I could be licensed at my current company. That's not a a conflict or anything. Sure. So from legal issues that you see on the horizon, you talked about the sales compensation from a recruiting standpoint. What are some other big issues that you think that outside counsel is probably the way to go for many of the firms? I would say, going back to my point about being creative, I think anytime an organization is breaking new ground, it's always helpful to have an expert, which, you know, hopefully that's what you're going to when you when you go outside mm-hmm. um, to help, you know, brainstorm. And, and they probably have worked with other companies that are doing something similar, if not the same. And, and kind of similar to that, it's like the one-stop shop that I think 
certain, you know, the hope to go to is where it's, you know, you're, you're home buying and it's just one, one company that you go to and, you know, and how you would get around that with all of the regulatory, with the regulatory environment. Right. So do they have typical backgrounds then on the regulatory side? So they're not normally mortgage bankers, but they are normally people that have been in different components of, let's say the federal government. Is that normally what you're seeing? Yeah, I would say either they have someone that has been with the federal government or, you know, that has a good relationship and maybe counsels them, although obviously not disclosing anything they shouldn't. But that's a really good point. Well, the time has flown by. We only have a couple minutes. What are some of the things, the key takeaways that we'd like our listeners to have today about in-house counsel and outside counsel? I would say that partnership is, as a theme, is super important in today's market not only inside council partnering with their sales team and their business team, but also partnering with their external council and vice versa. If you're not partnering, to me, there's not enough value add and at least engaging outside council. And, and similarly to network with other people, especially outside council, to try to figure out before hiring them whether or not they're a good fit for you and your organization. Well, that's really great points to leave today. And I want to thank you, Kim, for sharing all your wisdom on this important topic. And I want to thank our listeners for spending their time with us. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.